Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. Hi, everyone. I'm Anka Corbin, your host today on this Globig Podcast. Our hot international expansion topic is about relocation and important expat advice. And it's all about don't trip up those expat taxes. A really important topic. So we all know that going abroad for an assignment is really exciting. And what often happens is that expats, as well as the companies that they work for, they focus on the experience part of preparing for their international business relocation. And sometimes they're unprepared for other aspects like expat taxes and how actually getting paid in a different country will impact the taxes where in their home country as well as the country they're living in. And if it's not set up correctly in advance, it can really get frustrating and potentially have really expensive consequences. So our guest expert today is Raghu Bhargava. And Raghu is an award-winning and experienced financial executive, entrepreneur, and leader. He's the co-founder and CEO of Global Upside Corporation, which includes Global Upside, Global PEO Services, Mihi, and Gava Talent Solutions. They're a conglomerate specializing in international business operations in over 150 countries. Raghu, it is always a pleasure to have you as a guest, so thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Anke. Yeah, before someone goes on an international assignment, let's talk about some of the things that both the company and the expat they should be aware of and prepare for because this one is a is is really tough and they're gonna it's tricky so what are some of those important things to know about personal taxes before you take on an international assignment even no matter how awesome it sounds yeah you know and, and anke you started off with the most important thing which is you know the experience and and uh, what does it mean to your career and all that stuff and I know we've done in another podcast on that before, uh, so I would advise viewers to listeners to check that one out too. But what is often missed is taxation because people are focused so focused on oh I'm going to go to a new country it's going to be so exciting I want to do all this stuff, and your know, tax is one of those things where yes around April 15th we're all worried about it, but nobody's thinking about it all year round and. Same thing with these with these expats. Nobody's thinking about it when you're sending somebody, but there are massive consequences, especially if you are a resident or a citizen of the U.S., because the U.S. is one of those countries that taxes you on your global income. So it has consequences, and we talk more about it as as the podcast goes on. So you said you mentioned that you know the U.S. is one of those um, tougher countries, and you really need to work on this from the very beginning. What are some of the other differences from country to country? So let's let's look at Greece as an example. It's a great country that has interesting taxation laws where if you if you're in the marine industry and you're going to go work overseas or on the high seas uh, in terms of plowing the international waters on a boat, you can actually tell the government and if you're gone for more than six month period, you have no compliance requirements. You don't need to file a tax return. You don't need to pay any taxes or anything like that, even though your income is being deposited into a Greek account. Now compare that to the US where let's say uh, 
a U.S. national is on the high seas or working in Greece, and irrespective of where their income is being paid to them in the U.S. or any other country, their income is subject to U.S. taxation. Now, if you're obviously working in Greece on, and on somebody's payroll, you are paying Greek social taxes and income taxes. And the U.S. government is saying that, hey, your income is also subject to tax in the U.S. You can get out of some of the social taxes, but you can't get out of the income tax piece. And you may not have to pay state income tax because you can declare that you're not a resident of that state anymore, wherever you lived before. And there's a lot of complexity around how do you declare uh, that you're a non-resident of a state and all that stuff without going into all of it. Now imagine if there was a 30% tax rate in Greece and a 30% tax rate in the US. Now you're losing about 60% of your income to taxation. Now you do get some credit for foreign taxes paid, but with alternate minimum tax and things, that tax might deduction might be limited. But you can still end up paying maybe not 60%, maybe 40%, which is still higher than what you're used to. So you're losing more money to taxes than you had originally planned for. So at the end of the year, when you do all of this and you go back to your employer and say, hey, look, I still owe taxes and I have no money left because obviously um, I was spending as I was making and things, it creates a real dilemma as to how to solve it. And people don't think about this in advance. Right, absolutely. That could come as a very, very big surprise to someone, couldn't it? What is considered taxable income. You had mentioned that worldwide income for the United States, is that earned or unearned? Like what are all the different sources that income can include? Yeah, so let's let's look at it first from an US perspective as to what, in, what constitutes income. So income is anything that you get for either free or uh, like a lottery. Um, or that you get paid as uh, interest, dividends, or for work done, wages, commissions, bonus, all of that, uh, the broad classification is income. Now, some countries do differentiate a tiny bit because they might say, hey, dividend income is not taxable or capital gains are taxable, just like in the US at different rates and whatnot. So there is a classification issue at the end of the day, but under the U.S. law, which is the dual taxation law, um, you really, if you get paid for anything that you didn't work for, uh, or, or that even if you worked for, but if you if somebody's giving you money uh, without an obligation to return it, that's income. Mm -hmm. When when someone does go on an uh, expat assignment, what defines tax residency? Is it working there? Is there like a certain length that matters? Um, do they immediately, as soon as they go and make income, would that immediately be kind of put them into that tax residency status? So tax residency is really established in two ways in a foreign country. One is, is what is called the look back rule. So if on a rolling one year basis, if you have lived in a country for more than half the time or uh, 183 days, that is basically establishing your tax residency in the country. So that is one way to trigger the residency requirements. 
The other way, which is clearly a residency issue is if you were gonna, if an American citizen was gonna go work in France and they obviously need a work permit to go work there, the minute you get the work permit and show up to work in France, you have just acknowledged that you are now a tax resident of France and you need to now be on somebody's payroll. It could be the a subsidiary of the parent company or, or like a professional employer organization, employer of record organization or something like that. But they will have to put you on payroll and they will have to process your payroll and pay taxes. Okay. And so timing, so the, the amount of time you spend actually does matter. Is that the same country to country? Because you had mentioned the 183 days. And I, I've heard that before that people think that that's kind of a magic number, but it may not be. So let's talk a little bit about the, you know, how long and how much time you have to spend. And is that consecutive days, you know, that sort of thing. So the 183-day rule is pretty uh, gl uh, global in nature. Most countries look at it the same way. And it is not a consecutive day issue. So you could be in a country every other day, but in 360 days, you have done 183 days in that country. So it's a look back one year period. The last 365 days, where have you spent more than hundred more than half your time, 183 days? So if you have spent it in some other country, you are a tax resident of that country. Okay. And if you haven't given up given up the tax residency of the country you belong to, then you are, so to speak, a dual national subject to tax in two countries. You know, that's what I was actually going to ask next is what what is dual residence? I'm assuming that's the same thing as dual nationalism or national. Um, so that's the not giving up. Why would someone choose to not give up? Are there benefits like um, social security over time? Or, you know, tell me a little bit about why might someone keep both? And, you know, kind of what does the dual mean? That means you're in multiple countries or I guess I'm not sure. I'm not that clear on that. Yeah, so, uh, so there's two concepts here. One is obviously an income tax concept. And like I said, you have to pay tax in the country you're in, uh, tax, you're establishing tax residency in. Um, but the other part of this is social taxes, correct? So when I, so, and I'll give you an example that is very, very close to me. So two of my kids, one is a re resident of um, Belgium and one is a British resident even though they are both US citizens. So they don't intend to live in these countries on a long-term, long enough term basis to say, oh, um, I want to avail of the social benefits of that country. So for example, if my son wanted to move to Belgium on a permanent basis, then he would give up his citizenship in the US and say, hey, I want to go live in Belgium. I don't like US anymore, or I don't want to live here anymore. And you get citizenship, then eventually, and you're a tax resident and stuff, and you would then, at some point of retirement, you would get social benefits. He's not intending to do it. He wants to come back to the US. So if you want to come back to the US, why would you give up your residency? It doesn't make sense. So that social taxes is something that many countries have a, have a treaty with the US 
under that treaty, you don't have to pay social taxes. So the equivalent of social security, the equivalent of Medicare, things like that. Mm-hmm. You still are subject to income taxes in that country. And and you're saying that you're actually subject to both the U.S. as well as the country that you're in, but just not the social taxes, correct? Exactly. Both countries for income taxes, possibly only one country for social taxes. Got it. So another term that I hear often in, you know, in talking about expat taxation is fictitious tax residents. Tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah, so what some countries have done is they allow you to buy what you can call residency. So, um, and, and actually not just countries, some of the union territories in the U.S. allow you to do that. So, for example, become a tax resident in Puerto Rico. And I believe the rule is you have to be there um, 76 or 80 nights or something like that. So, which is a very low threshold to cross. And if you become a resident of Puerto Rico, what you're doing is you're giving up your residency, say, in California, which is where I live. And I'm not subject to California tax because I'm now subject to Puerto Rico tax, excepting Puerto Rico has no personal tax. So then I get off free. I don't have any state taxes. I would imagine that's pretty attractive for like us, like internet entrepreneurs and folks like that at times. Actually, it is very attractive to what you said, plus people that are, uh, you know, say, uh, wanting to sell their business, have an exit event. So then they save on state taxes. People that are retired, they move there uh, or establish a residence there. They don't have to pay state tax. They can live wherever they want all the time. And it's not, it's not even that you have to be in Puerto Rico. You actually have to just touch the ground. So people actually fly in and fly out. And, and that just counts towards the number of days you have to be there. That's very interesting. Yes, it is. Um, we've been doing some business in Puerto Rico over the last year, year and a half, and somehow somebody got hold of my email and they are now uh, sending me all the spam about, hey, why don't you just take up residency and you won't be subject to tax wherever you live? I'm like, yeah, but I, I go there for business. I'm not, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah, so... But it could be very attractive for certain com- types of companies and certain individuals, like you said, those that are retiring. I have definitely heard about that before, but I didn't understand what that meant. Very interesting. One of the things that happens in Europe a lot is that um, people live in one country and commute and work in another country, and that certainly can happen in other areas as well. Share a little bit about the impact on your taxes for cross-border commuters. Yes, so uh, cross-border commuters are, again, you're back to that 183-day rule. Um, And Europe is a little bit unique in that respect because there are no borders, so to speak, within the EU. But Uh, What the government is saying is that wherever you're spending your time, wherever you're making your income, you have to pay tax there. So, you know, there's, I I believe there's about two and a half million some continental European citizens living in UK. 
on the Brexit. Uh, that's why I know this information. Um, and uh, they are living in UK and paying taxes in UK. They are not paying taxes in continental Europe or wherever they are coming from, because obviously uh, they are full time living in UK. Now, if you're just commuting, the rules are kind of similar. You just have to allocate your income and stuff, and maybe you have the equivalent of a W-2 from UK and an equivalent of a W-2 from France. And then you can just say, okay, this is how much I made in UK, so I'll pay the UK tax on it. And this is what I made in France, so I'll pay French tax on it. But you'd have to somehow know how to allocate your income, especially if you're only on the payroll of one country. And, and some of this gets unrecorded, unnoticed, because if you are a I mean, there's two types of commuters that go in and out on a daily basis and stuff. And then there's the commuters that, you know, as an example, you know, I travel a lot, but I don't pay tax in any other country because I'm, I'm in and out in a day or two or five. It doesn't count towards my residency. It doesn't allow me enough time in that country to establish a presence and be subject to tax. Right. That makes sense. But then some people really are about equal in one, you know, countries and maybe they, they are half in the UK and half in the United States or um, South American countries or the EU country, you know, there's just so many people that are in and out fairly, free, you know, frequently enough to where it's uh, somewhat unclear. Yeah, yeah. You know, another area that I think is a really interesting one that expats really need to consider is if they have working spouses versus non-working spouses um, joining them for the expat assignment and the impact of the taxes if they're, um, you know, doing a joint income tax or separate and all of those different pieces as well. Let's chat a little bit about that because I do, I have had a number of situations where I've seen that um, impact couples pretty dramatically. Yeah, and, and, and that is an interesting situation because what happens a lot of times is um, when you, when your spouse goes overseas to work there, let's say my spouse is going to go live in Germany and work there, Greg. Her employer is sending her there. Um, what am I going to do? I want to go with her, Greg, because I'm not, um, I'm not wanting to live in the U.S. by myself. So I go with her. Well, whatever my spouse has as a work permit only applies to her. So technically, I can't even work there. But my employer might say, Riku, for that one year that you're going there with your spouse, why don't you just work, continue to work for us remotely and, um, and we will just pay you in the U.S. Now, you can work that because you're not doing any work for a, say, a German company or a, a German employer. So you're not subject to tax or not. You don't have a work permit. You can't really work there for a, for a company, for a local company, or for the subsidiary of my employer there. So you may get by with it, but as far as uh, the income tax is concerned, so obviously to the extent I'm filing a joint return with my spouse, then I am reporting my income, she's reporting her income on the same return, and it is subject to tax in the US. 
and possibly only her income might be subject to tax in Germany uh, because I'm actually not a German employee. And this is a little bit of it is complicated because uh, a lot of times what happens is you may, you may go overseas uh, working for a private company, then the rules are a little bit different than if you were gonna go work for the US government or work on an Army, Navy, Air Force base, uh, or even for a private company when you're working under some government grant, a DOD grant or something like that, the rules are quite different because the, that place that you're working in, in that foreign country, might be treated as US soil and you're not subject to local visa requirements, residency requirements, tax requirements, because all your benefits are still accruing so to speak, on the U.S. soil. So you're only subject to U.S. law. Interesting. Yeah, there's all sorts of things. And I think that everyone that's considering an expat assignment, they they really need to make sure that they understand this well before they go. So how far in advance should people prepare? How long does some of this take? Is it something that they can do once they're in the foreign country or are there actually things that have to be done before they go over? The tax is very complicated. And so uh, the more you think about it, the better off you are typically because you can't really do tax planning on December 15th for this year. You kind of have to think on January 15th for this year um, or the upcoming year. And so as you are, as the employer and the employee, the candidate are starting to discuss this expat assignment, the secondment into a new country, they just need to have a plan where it says, okay, here is sort of everything that happens while you are there. And this is what happens to you tax wise, because that is as important a discussion as anything else. Because um, you don't want the employee to wake up after 12 months and say, half of my income has gone to taxes and what am I supposed to live off? Because I wasn't prepared to pay that much tax. I was only prepared to pay what I was paying in the US or something like that. Uh, because this, you know, we've talked about COLA adjustments, cost of living adjustments and things like that. And it's along the same lines, you have to think about double taxation and how is that going to play out? And also depends on which country you're coming from and which country you're going to. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our discussion today is focused on sort of an American resident going overseas versus somebody going from country A to country B, which the laws might be different and you would have different rules apply. Mm -hmm. Do you find that companies will usually have to compensate for the double taxation potentially um, in different ways? And if so, you know, that's a much, much more expensive assignment at that point, right? Yeah, because, uh, well, first of all, to be a little blunt, yes, the employer has to cover the taxes. Uh, not because I'm on the employee side, but because that's the reality, right? I'm sending somebody, one of my employees from U.S. to work in, uh, in a foreign country. Uh, he says, hey, look, you got to make me whole because otherwise I don't want to go. So... Yes, it is, it is the employer's liability, but when you talk about the cost of doing it, so, so remember, if there's double taxation and let's say the employee has to pay $10,000 more in taxes, well, you cannot just pay him $10,000 more because that 10,000 is now subject to tax also. 
So it's kind of sort of a circular reference to figure it out. But one thing to keep in mind, a very broad guideline to keep in mind is that, especially for the higher compensated individuals, $100,000 or more in annual compensation, that the cost of sending somebody overseas by the time you factor in all of your costs can be somewhere between two to three X of their base comp or of their uh, cash compensation. So if they're making say 150, it could be 300 to $450,000 to send somebody overseas. And it really depends on how you structure the deal and stuff and things. You obviously do that for a living, but um, you need to really consult some expert on it before you say, sure, we'll cover that also. Uh, because the bill when it shows up might be very large. Mm-hmm. And just make sure that that's a conversation that's had before someone is sent over, right? Yes, yes. Is there anything else that kind of on this topic, did we cover all kind of the most important parts or are there still some a lot more areas that we've, you know, that still need to be explored? So the, the thing you have to always think about it is where is this employee a resident of? What, where is he a citizen of? Because residency sometimes is easy to give up. Uh, like you're a British national, you've lived in the US for the last 10 years, but you're still a British national. We're gonna send you to Nigeria. You can easily give up your tax residency in the US, no big deal, right? Because you're not really a citizen of the US. So where are you a citizen of? And where are we sending you? And what is the tax treaty between or tax um, assessment between those two countries? Without knowing that, it is really hard to give advice. It is really hard to assess what should we worry about or not worry about. Do I, I think this is an, a different conversation, but if you're a U.S. green card holder, hypothetically, so you have residency and then you get moved somewhere else and you have to give up that residency, you actually have to reapply for new residency, correct? You would have to apply for a new green card. Absolutely. So those are the sorts of big decisions that those are bigger decisions oftentimes than an expat assignment. Yes, it is. And and keep in mind, too, what happens at the end of this assignment, right? Is this a an indefinite assignment? So we're just saying, hey, go to Nigeria, run Nigeria for us for the rest of our lives. Or you're saying, hey, go to Nigeria for the next two years and we'll bring you back into that secondment issues, correct? How are you staging this assignment and all of that? And, and that matters a lot because would somebody who has a US green card willing to give it up for a two-year assignment to some foreign country mm-hmm. uh, and then say, oh, what happens after two years? How do I come back to the US? You have a genuine problem. Mm-hmm. So the likelihood of you keeping both residencies or at least how, having the dual and paying as a dual is, is better oftentimes than thinking in terms of giving it up and starting somewhere else and then coming back and trying to get back in. Absolutely. I would just say, think about it, act very, very cautiously because very easy to give up residency, sometimes very hard to acquire it. Right. And I think that's even a bigger challenge than the taxation because that seems somewhat more of a short-term problem versus 
your residency status could be a much bigger long-term problem. Yeah, if you're going for two years, the, the taxation is a two-year problem. Right. Now, one thing we haven't talked about is, is that a two-year problem, but it takes about three years to sort it. Mm. Because remember, the 2019 taxes will be due in 2020. Mm -hmm. You will most probably either owe something or get a refund. And it has to be on your 2020 taxes. So even a one-year assignment results in two years. So there's always a plus one year to solve and close that chapter. Very important to remember. Yes, good advice. Raghu, our time is up. I want to thank you so very much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you as our guest. Um, thanks again for being here. And just for all of our listeners, make sure you join Globig's Resource Hub. So if you're serious about doing business internationally, we have experts like Raghu's company that have been vetted and they will help make your entire business expansion so much easier and so much more productive. You can also subscribe to this podcast channel for more fantastic international expansion podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, everyone.